0: Better safe than sorry. Always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another fantastic episode of the Parsha Podcast. And this week is especially important because there's so much tension in the air and a lot of confusion and fear and anxiety and so on amongst members of my community and Jewish communities around the world. And I really, really think that this week's Parsha and the lesson we're going to be discussing in the podcast today Say something very powerful, very relevant, very important that we all need to absorb carefully. So, this week's Parsha is the Parsha of Beha'aloticha or Beha'aloischa, however, you pronounce your Hebrew. And one of the things it speaks about is the fact that the Jewish people, one year after um, leaving Egypt, once again brought the Pesach offering. The Pesach lamb was sacrificed in the temple and eaten by the Jewish families at their Passover Seder. Now this went on um, once Jews arrived in Israel. This went on every single year. The Pesach offering was a lamb, was slaughtered and offered in the temple, portions of it. The meat was taken home to be eaten by families at the Seder together with all the other elements of the Seder. This practice is central to the observance of Passover, and it is indeed the origin of having a bone on our Seder plates today, because we don't forget what once was, we don't forget Plan A of Judaism, how things were meant to be, and furthermore, we hope to resume and get back to Plan A as soon as possible, in the Holy Temple, which will be rebuilt by Mashiach in the city of Jerusalem. May it be speedily in our days. Now, before we dive into this, a little bit of an introduction to the whole concept of animal sacrifice in Judaism. We're not going to get into the philosophy of it right now, it's beyond the scope of today's topic, but just on the technical side of things, there are various sacrifices on the books. Some are individual obligations, for example, if a person wants to express gratitude to God, there was a sacrifice you could offer in that vein. If you want to atone for some sin that you may have committed, there's a sacrifice to offer for that, and so on. These are all individual obligations paid for and offered by individuals. Any individual could walk up to the temple at any time, say, I'm here to offer offering X, um, and, and proceed to do so. Then you have sacrifices that are communal obligations. For example, every day there was an offering in the morning, an offering in the the afternoon, also a lamb, that was was performed by the Kohanim, by the priests in the temple, on behalf of the entire Jewish people. Same thing for for every Shabbat and Jewish holidays. These were paid for by communal tax and offered by the priests on on behalf of all Jewish people. Now, The Pesach Pesach sacrifice is very unique. It actually is simultaneously both an individual offering and a communal offering. It has elements of both. On one hand, you're the one who buys it, you're the one who offers it, and only you, together with your family, can eat it. It's not public. It's not communal. On the other hand, it was not brought by each, by each individual separately, rather, people gathered in three massive groups the day before Passover, and as as part of this huge group, you had your turn in the temple for the whole proceeding. So the, again, so the, Pes- the Pesach sacrifice has elements of both an individual and a communal offering at the same time. One of the practical differences of this unique feature is whether an offering was considered communal or individual responsibility um, determined if it could be offered on Shabbat because the act of slaughtering an animal is generally prohibited on Shabbat but a communal offering would override Shabbat while offerings of individuals would not and so the the rule is that for uh, Pesach offering it would override Shabbat because it has that element of a communal offering. But the the philosophical question here is, and this is where I think we can really derive a lesson of, of how to look at Jewish community life and what it means to be part of a Jewish community, locally and globally. How is it possible for the same offering to straddle the context of an individual and a community at the same time. You know, there are various political ideologies that emphasize the individual, and there are political ideologies that emphasize the collective. For example, on on, on perhaps the extremes, you have libertarianism, which emphasizes individuality, individuality, personal freedom, free choice, and so on. On the other side of the spectrum, you have communism, which severely limits those points in favor of an emphasis on collectivism, benefit of the group, elimination of classes, distinctions between individuals, and pursuit of equality, and so on. It was a horrifying uh, practical failure in every respect. Um, but for the purposes of illustrating the conflict between the two sets of values I mention it here go tell a communist or a libertarian that something in the world is both an individual expression as well as a communal endeavor at the same time and their brains will explode and here we're saying that the Pesach offering is both at the same time it is on one hand an individual offering on the other hand a communal offering how can this be? It seems in most cases in the world you have to choose. You have to make a choice and live with it. You're either going to be something that is an individualistic thing or you're going to be something that is a collectivist thing. But it can't be both. So how is it both? It, it can be both because it all hinges on the Torah's definition of what constitutes a community. What is the definition of a community? And before I continue, let me just say this. At times, people can attend a Torah class. People can study Torah or listen to a Parsha podcast like you're doing right now. And they'll hear ideas that are very removed from regular life. They're pretty abstract, maybe philosophical, maybe spiritual. They don't seem to be practical. They don't seem to be ideas that are relevant, readily relevant at least. To daily life. It's not going to help me balance my, my bank accounts. It's not going to help me take care of my family. You know, not going to help me lose weight. What's the point? Why we engage in these ideas? Well, we engage in these ideas because it's only when you have a clear knowledge of some basic fundamental, yes, philosophical ideas, ideas these are axioms these are the ground rules for our lives that you that you're able to navigate all sorts of dilemmas practical dilemmas with the enlightenment that you get from those fundamental ideas you can study one idea on a very abstract level and then derive 101 different practical applications of that idea because you have that that clear foundation that gives you some moral guidance and 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 dictates how you ought to behave and how you ought to choose throughout your life. So this is also one of those things here. We're going to be discussing a fairly abstract concept. What is the definition of a community? Um, but I really do believe that if you clarify that point in your head and you have a a crystal clear definition of what a community is and isn't, It helps on a practical level in so many different ways. You'll you'll all have to tell me if I'm smoking something or if you find that to be true. So there are a number of ways to define a community. One way is to say that all the individuals that comprise a community lose their individuality and a new entity is born, namely that of Community X. There are no longer individuals. All we have here is a conglomerate It's a new entity, it's a community. Another way of defining a community is to say that a community is a gathering of individuals who don't lose their individuality, even as the new entity of a community is born. What differentiates, then, a community from an individual is that an individual stands alone. A community is a group of individuals united together. See the difference? And the Torah defines a community in the second manner. That it's a combination and a a, uh, gathering of individuals who don't lose their individuality in the process of becoming a community. Here we have a combination of different factors and forces with such rich tension between them, ensuring that each specific element is not sacrificed for the sake of the whole, while also not remaining solely self-oriented. This tension is best summarized by the famous teaching of Hillel in chapter 1 of Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, where he said, if I am not for myself, who is for me? In other words, I got to take care of business. I got to honor my, honor my own obligations and look after my, my needs. But at the same time, he said, and if I am only for myself, what am I? You cannot be only a self-sufficient, self-oriented, self-reliant person. You have to be more than just someone who takes care of themselves. And just like it's true for an individual, we don't allow the individual to remain stuck in individualism. The same is true for communities. Yes, you, community X, you exist as a group collective. And you must think about the greater good. And you, you aspire to you know, broader principles than just the narrow self-interest but that never comes at the expense of the individual. And one of the greatest illustrations of this is the fact that in Jewish law, we don't hand over a person to be killed, even if that will save a community. If that would be the situation, if those are our choices, we absolutely do not willfully hand someone over to be killed to save an entire group. Why? Because we never lose sight of the individual. No matter how focused we are on community, We always pay attention to the individual. And so it goes. The Jewish definition of community is a combination of both uh, ideas, opposing forces that coexist simultaneously. I really think one of the practical applications of all this is um, a a way of viewing all of the drama, the the anti-Semitic attacks the anti-Semitic rhetoric online. And I have seen people say, you know, you've got an issue with the Israeli government. Why are you taking that out on me? I'm not the Israeli government. I'm not an Israeli Jew. Leave me alone. And I understand that point. And of course, nothing can justify random acts of violence on people that have nothing to do with you and haven't caused you any harm. That's just flat out wrong and flat out evil. But this desire to somehow somehow assert that we're not connected to those Jews. We don't have any kind of shared responsibility. That's their problem. Keep us out of it. I think that's wrong, at least on a philosophical level. Again, I'm not trying to excuse any bad behavior and... Anyone who knows me knows where I stand on all that. But the philosophical notion that we can somehow untie ourselves, untether ourselves from our fellow Jews anywhere in the world, especially in Israel, is simply wrong. And ironically, an anti-Semite who attacks a Jew in California or New York or in Europe for his perceived um, misdeeds carried out by Jews in Israel, is onto something. We are connected to each other. We have a shared responsibility. What one Jew does here affects Jews all over the place, for good and for bad. And and it's a beautiful concept coming out in perhaps a very ugly expression. But the concept that we're all connected, we're all intertwined, um, is absolutely true. And it's just up to us to remember to express this point in a positive way, in a constructive way, in a healthy way, that we can contribute in so many ways to the welfare and the well being of our fellow Jews anywhere in the world, especially in Israel. We can, whatever we do, has an effect on them. Um, we are part of one community. All of us, unique individuals, blend in without losing our individuality, to become the Jewish people. And we are very lucky and fortunate to be able to say that I am a Jew. I'm a part of this community. I'm a part of this people. We are all together. We always have been. We always will be. And let us give expression to that in the most beautiful, sacred, and constructive way, L'chaim. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to join us on the Parsha podcast. I'd like to ask you to reflect on whatever we just discussed in the Parsha podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some other lessons and takeaways that you can take from the topics we discussed? Please send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com. Any and all feedback, constructive criticism, compliments, and so on are really appreciated. Thank you so much.